0: in 2008 the united states fire administration started putting the cause or what the firefighter was doing when they died so like advancing a hose line search and rescue operations things like that so from 2008 until now there has been 16 line of duty deaths when it comes to search 16.
1: excellence is a rarity but you are not alone Talk and Shop with Outlier Firefighters. Hey everyone, Alexander here. Talk and Shop with Outlier Firefighters. This is episode 27. I got Jeff Bryant Jr. here with me. And uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's really cool that we were able to make this connection and get you on the show.
0: Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Appreciate the, the invite.
1: Absolutely, man. And I, I again, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, and and sharing some stuff. We're going to talk about a lot of cool things tonight, uh, getting into fire nuggets, firefighter rescue survey, uh, a little bit of firemanship and, and and talking about that. It's going to be in Aurora, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into the start of things and that's really uh, of, of your journey and where you've come from uh, and, and your first exposure to the fire service. So what was that?
0: Uh, I pretty much grew up in the firehouse. My grandfather uh, was a volunteer fireman in Amboy, town where I live in currently. Joined there in the uh, 1950s, uh, and then he retired as uh, the chief of the department in 1998, and then passed away just a couple of years later. Um, My dad also uh, is on the department. He joined in 1988, and uh, he's the current fire chief as well. Um, so I think he's getting close to retirement probably in the next five years or so. He'll probably probably retire is my guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my mom is on the department as an EMT. My sister is as well. And my sister's a dispatcher too, for the local uh, Lee County uh, Sheriff's Department. And then uh, my wife actually is on the department as, as well. Um, so family affair. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of where I got uh I got drawn in, so I was kind of crawling around there on the uh, bay floors when I was in diapers and kind of been there ever since.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I feel that too, I, uh, uh, same boat uh, firehouse family, not obviously is as large as yours. And that's really cool that everyone in your family, it seems like is involved in the fire service. Like, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. That's really cool. Do you think, uh, would you say your family all pretty much got bit by the public safety bug and, and they were all inspired too? uh from a younger age because it's part of your family uh
0: yeah i i think so i mean my grandfather was the one that started it and just uh you know um he kind of had to start with it and then uh his brother actually joined uh, a little later too and then uh he he died at a younger age though but uh kind of it was cool like the 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 wives of the the firemen back there they had they had uh what's called like the flamettes So they were they were involved, too. So like when a fire came in, they came down and cooked breakfast or dinner for the for the guys, um, depending on when the call was. So pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Wow. That really is the whole family. That's that's pretty cool. I I don't know if that's lost nowadays or if it's still around in some places, but very cool to hear about that. So what were your first steps into you you personally being involved with the fire department? more so than just being a family member.
0: Uh, I was 16 years old and a bunch of firemen's kids uh, that I was friends with. We all went to school together. We were in high school and uh, there was five of us. And then there was uh, one other one that kind of had some interest in joining the fire department, but we were 16 and between 16 and 18 years old. So the department decided to make a cadet program. So we made a cadet program from 16 to 18 years old. And uh, in 2007, I was 16 years old and uh, joined the fire department as a cadet. Um, We were able to show up to monthly meetings, monthly trainings, um, and they would take us on uh, less, quote unquote, serious calls um, later. Um, but the, the very first call we went on was a dude that smacked a tree. So, I mean, <laughs> with, uh, ATV, but you know, yep. um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, was, it was, good exposure. Um, and I stayed on that, uh, <clears throat> stayed on that department and, uh, became a probie once I turned 18 and then became a fireman after that. Um, it was great. You know, they paid for, for all of, uh, you know, the training and classes and everything came an EMT there and then, uh, went on to paramedic school. And I uh, just kind of kept going, going forward in uh, my career from there. Uh, stayed there until I got hired uh, in Aurora, but worked a couple other jobs as well.
1: Oh, a couple other fire jobs or? or uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once I got my uh, paramedic, um, I was really young. I was probably 20 years old or 19 or 20 years old when I got my paramedic and uh. went to work for a uh, department in Bureau County called Princeton. Uh, they were the only uh, full-time agency in that whole county. Uh, worked on there for two years part-time. Uh, fantastic department. Uh, they kind of went everywhere in the county. Um, it, was a, it was a good department, good people. Uh, learned a lot there. Um, so, and then from there, uh, I got hired actually as a uh, at Sitco Oil Lamont Refinery as a fireman. I worked there for uh, one year to the day, uh, exactly, and then. It was a contract job, so I switched contracts and went and worked for Shanahan Fire Protection District. And uh, same thing, I literally worked one year to the day, and then I got hired by Aurora.
1: That's quite a renaissance, man! Like, that's all over the place. That's that's cool. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I take it that, I mean, obviously, all those departments had differences. What were some of the major ones between them as you as you went through them?
0: Uh, well, you know, Princeton was was very uh, rural, which I was kind of used to. Uh, but their uh, their ambulance district was just massive. I mean, we're, we're talking 15, 20 miles just to get to the, the call. So uh, th- that was quite interesting. Um, and then, uh, you know, Sitco was was interesting because that was completely different. Um, their their engines carried no water. It was <laughs> just foam and then uh, you hook up to the hydrant basically the engine is one giant gate valve <laughs> and uh, the hy- hydrant pressure is 200 psi <laughs> so yeah oh my god yeah it was it was, oh it,
1: yeah,
0: it, was, it, was uh, it was interesting and then uh, you know shanahan was your typical uh suburban department uh, great people um i got i got pretty lucky for for where i landed over there on on the shift that i did um and then now where I'm at, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm blessed and, and happy where I'm at right now. So.
1: That's awesome. I mean, <laughs> the Sitco man, 200 psi of a hydrant—that's insane. And
0: yeah, well, they, they they did foam operations for everything, yeah. so that was like just the,
1: just the standard. What what kind of like onboarding did they do for you? Because obviously, that's a completely different type of firefighting.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was like it was like three or four weeks, um, kind of kind of training. That
1: one. That's like some specialized shit. That's cool. So over the course of that, um, I, and, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to kind of know the answer to this, but either way, maybe maybe you'll surprise me. But firefighter culture, values, where did that come from? I'm assuming family, but if not, that's cool. Um, but where did you learn about that and how did you learn about it?
0: Yeah, it, it, it probably came from my home department uh, when I was uh, in, in Amboy for seven-ish years or so i mean pancake breakfasts with the community you know you got um food drives and stuff you would do for the uh people that were not as wealthy you go and give them stuff for christmas christmas gifts um all those things that's kind of where just you do what you can for your community you know kind of kind of a value yeah um and then like like the department always just took care of you you know whatever you needed they took care of you you know if people needed help doing something you just send a group text out and you always got at least a couple people to show up
1: yeah that's (laughs) that's the way it's supposed to be right i I mean at least in my opinion but uh i grew up with that too Uh, and uh and antioch my first department was very much like that as well so that's that's cool it just seems like the the community fire department vibe uh if, if you're fortunate enough to be part of that like you were like you carry that with you right like I feel like do you still have those values, and you still try to implement them in your full time job?
0: Yeah, I mean, we uh, where I work now, we do a uh, you know, toys uh, for tots, you know, right. so we give you know Christmas gifts to to people in need as well here and uh, things like that. So I mean, it, it carries over. Um, just you know, with uh, the smaller town, we were doing it for our neighbors, you know, and we we knew those people, you know. That was that was the main difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. So we'll get into the meat of stuff. Uh and and we'll go right into talking about Fire Nuggets. So like when we were talking in the green room before, I, I, I mentioned like personally, like I've seen Fire Nuggets, I know they exist, I know they've been around, and um uh but I, I feel like I've never dove into really what Fire Nuggets is, who you guys are and what you represent and, and what you do. So uh could you share some of that and enlighten other people too that that aren't totally aware?
0: Yeah, so in uh, the late 1990s, like 98, 99, uh, Paul Schuller and Ted Corporandi, uh, they were uh, firemen out in California. Um, I believe San Jose and Sacramento. Um, they decided to create Fire Nuggets, and basically it was a virtual online magazine. It was a uh, subscription-based thing. Uh, they did that for, uh, I want to say, seven, eight years, something like that, uh, maybe till they slowed down their additions at least. Um, but basically by 2010, they weren't really doing, doing much of, it, of any of it. So uh, as, as it kind of started windling down in 2014, um, Berkeley Firefighters decided to uh, buy it uh, by the company and they made uh, it a nonprofit. So, from there, uh, everything changed. It wasn't a magazine or article company or anything like that. It actually became like a training um, organization. But we don't really necessarily put the training on. we facilitate it. So people have trouble, you know, with funding and registrations, getting hand tools, um, contacting instructors, flights, hotels. Uh, that's where we come in and we we handle all that. So, since 2014 that's kind of what what's been going on and uh they started uh what's called as uh, affiliates so norcal was the f- very first one so northern california those are the guys that, that started it and uh ever since then they've kind of been growing um they started uh boise uh colorado arizona um and uh, the pnw and then I decided, uh, I, I was reading some articles um, from Fire Nuggets actually, and I saw you could become an affiliate. So I sent an email out and, and then in 2018, I started the uh, Illinois affiliate and we started uh, you know running classes and stuff. And I mean, it, it's nothing you know groundbreaking. Basically, uh, we have the funding to bring in people, pay for their flights, pay for the hotel, the food, um, the logistics such as hand tools, smoke machines, everything, you name it. We do the upfront, we run the registration to make the money back. And then uh, none of us take a paycheck, none of us get paid for any of it. We just do it to, you know, highlight training and get training in those uh select areas. And the cool thing is is somebody could reach out to us that doesn't have, you know, an affiliate like a, like a Pennsylvania or, or something, and they could be like, Hey, we need help, you know, doing a registration for a class, kind of helping us out, and yeah, we'll we'll do it. So we, we run it for them. We send them what the leftover is. They can do whatever they want with it. They can donate it or, or whatever, or put it towards the next class. <clears throat> and uh, so, yeah, so I started Illinois in 2018. Uh, a couple cool things happened right away. Like we ran a uh, search class with uh, Brothers in Battle. And uh, two weeks after we ran the class, um, two Iowa firefighters that came to the class, they made uh one of their departments like first ever documented rescues two weeks after the class so it was it was just pretty interesting and cool stuff and then i uh i hosted uh what's called the midwest area fire academy uh with a couple couple people helping me out um we have since stopped doing it just because of a firemanship coming and stuff so it's uh don't want to have too much clashing and stuff um but it was cool uh my my dad was part of the uh thought process behind that conference back in 2009 and it just never went so i wanted to bring it up so 10 years later in 2019 we ran it Uh, it was like five locations up near rockford Uh, had around 212 students i think and uh, you know we were able to raise about three or four grand and we donated it to uh, the burn camp ime for kids Um, so and then like just some other cool stuff Um, I uh got to become a board member in twenty twenty. And then we started doing some virtual series um helping uh kinda like I mean it was COVID, right? So yeah. we we did we did virtual series. So that way people could still uh get some training and then you know, we still have bills, like we have uh website fees, um, uh all sorts of different stuff that we have to pay for, the uh nonprofit 51c3 renewals stuff. So we did online classes and then uh so i became a board member in 2020 and then 2022 uh they voted me in to be the uh, vice president and then uh it isn't announced yet but we had our board meeting two weeks ago and they uh voted me in to be the next president currently so january 1 is when i'll take that over uh so yeah pretty excited about that um So some interesting things. We have uh, affiliates all over the country. I mean, we got, uh, like I said, Boise, Pacific Northwest. We got Hawaii, uh, NorCal and SoCal, Texas, uh, Colorado, Montana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Indiana, New York, Virginia. Um, I think there's one more. It slipped my mind. But I mean, these places have done some really cool things, like the Pacific Northwest, they have raised and donated over $52,000 since they've been uh, you know, a, a affiliate. Texas, 44,000. Uh, Mile High Fire Conference uh, ran out of Colorado. They've done well over $100,000, and they put everything right back into Colorado. So firefighters that need help with medical benefits, um, equipment, tools, scholarships, you name it, they do it. Um, oh, and uh, Wyoming was the one I couldn't think of because I had okay. something to say about them. But they—they've uh, <clears throat> been pretty successful over the last three years. They've raised probably close to thirty-five to forty thousand, and they're looking at uh, using those funds to build their own training facility with that. <clears throat> and those are all things that, like, we can we can kind of help facilitate and and help with. And uh, again, you know, we're not doing it for anything. So um, there's nothing to gain other than training, right? So. We do that, so if, if anybody needs anything, you just reach out, and we see if we can help you. We run a budget, and we make sure that it works, and then uh, we help you with registration and everything. That's what we do. And we've also been able to give stuff away. So, like, we just did uh, our second year of nozzle grants. We gave three departments in need uh, some nozzles for their uh, fire departments. So I just started getting pictures. They, they were receiving them now, so it's cool.
1: That's awesome. Wow. That's some homegrown shit. That's, that's cool. Um, do, does uh, Fire Nuggets cover like insurance or anything if you do hands-on classes? How does that work?
0: So we have an uh, insurance girl. If you're going to do a hands-on class, and the, typically the instructors are the ones that uh, have the insurance. That's okay. that's typically what's supposed to happen. But if they don't and you're worried or the trading uh, site is worried, we can apply for additional insurance, and then we just pay for it off the top.
1: Okay. Okay. So... So like an instructor uh, uh, wants to do a, I don't know, like a ventilation class and they go and set that up and and they would typically have their own insurance like as a person, like, like personal liability or something. And I know that's kind of some technical stuff. I'm not really that knowledgeable in it because the only thing I can never think of is like. For me, IFSI hosts a class through Cornerstone, or a department does a thing locally, so the departments pick up that tab. This is outside of that, right? So how how could how does that work?
0: Yeah, so so typically, like people if they're teaching, um, s- some people don't, you know, and uh, but other people do. They have their own businesses. Uh, typically, if somebody has their own business, they have their own insurance. Typically,
1: okay, all right.
0: Uh, but if, but if they don't, that's something that we could we could apply for as well. Okay. so.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. When you said 2010, that, that, uh, we're, fire nuggets kind of fell off for a little bit. That would make sense of why I've heard, but never really was part because that's when I got into the fire service myself. So, um, yeah, that's really cool what you've done. And dude, I mean, commendable for, for the amount of work and, and where you're at. Congratulations, you know, on, on, on getting to the presidency of that. I mean, that's a big deal. And, uh, that's a lot of work to get to that point. So, uh, seriously congrats that's that's quite an achievement
0: thank you yeah yeah and if you uh like <clears throat> we still have all the art if anybody listening is interested we still have all the articles that were ever written so like uh andy fredericks people should yeah. know that name if, if you don't look them up we have some articles written by andy you know before um unfortunately you know 9-11 happened and i mean we got uh, uh mittendorf uh we got bob hoff we got we got a whole bunch of people. So a whole bunch of articles right there on the website for yeah. free. Just go, go look.
1: That was my first exposure for sure. Was There's a Frederick's article about smoothbore nozzles that's pretty famous, right? I think almost every fireman that gets into that stuff has read about that, right? And, uh, yeah, that, that, some, some big names, right? Some smart people yeah. involved. So that's really cool. Yeah. So you mentioned it. And uh, – registration already open and i'm and I'm pretty sure almost everything is full at least the hot class is already full but let's talk firemanship I wish uh I, I don't know what's completely full now so if anyone's listening and and this catches them and they're like holy crap I gotta go I hope there's still some stuff available maybe I can look at for look at that while you're while you're talking but uh uh for those people that don't know it's in your hometown well not your hometown but it, it's in Aurora so uh, uh, share some insight on firemanship.
0: Uh, yeah, so, so like I said, with the, with the Fire Nuggets, you know, we, we hosted uh, Brothers in Battle, which uh, Cody Trust Trail is the guy behind that. <clears throat> and uh, he had hosted firemanship for, I want to say, four years um, on the West Coast in uh, Portland. Uh, very successful. <clears throat> um, so uh, with COVID and everything, uh, you know, it obviously uh, shut down, unfortunately. And uh, he he's been kind of looking for a new place to do it uh, just because of regulations and problems and issues and things like that. So, um, you know, he, he's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and uh, he he kind of asked one day, and he's like he's like, do, do you think that Illinois has the infrastructure to do it? And I said, well, well yeah. I mean, we have training towers everywhere. So um, we kind of started looking into some things. We had a bunch of conversations and uh big thing was you know he wanted the lecture series to be in like a a a really nice um theater like he he didn't want to do like a hotel conference room or or like a you know high school uh, auditorium or something so we have the paramount right right in the uh heart of downtown where i work and it can hold uh up to 1800 people which um that's a lot right so When they did it in Portland, they did the uh, Crystal Ballroom, which I think the capacity on that was 700 or 800, and they typically sold it out. Um, So we're capping ours right now for the lecture at 1,500. And right now, we have have about 800 seats sold for that, which that alone is actually pretty uh, incredible. So I mean, obviously. We hope that as time goes on, the other 700, you know, happen. But yeah. that's still a lot of seats, so that's that's pretty exciting, and that's a lot of people getting training, you know. And uh, the the whole thing behind it is is incredible. Um, we uh, most of the instructors, you know, aren't aren't taken. You know, uh, they, they don't really want anything. They just want to come out and teach and, and give it back. And the, the whole emphasis behind the conference was a pay it forward. So, the, the classes are a dollar. So, if you're from a poverty area <clears throat> and you are going to have a struggle paying for a flight in a hotel and doing a full conference pass, you know, then pay what you can and then uh, we'll see you there. But if you can pay more, <clears throat> then you pay more. <clears throat> and, you know, like you said, uh, we had 1,286 um, hot seats, so hands on training seats. And well over uh most of them are gone, so and then the rest are all what we call workshops, which are basically like one day lectures that aren't part of the lecture series so uh definitely definitely pretty cool uh the, most of those seats sold out in the first five to ten minutes as well
1: <clears throat> yeah uh i was I was in part of the countdown myself um but yeah i i uh. I' I'm, unfortunately I couldn't do hot classes. however, uh, yeah, the, the lecture I was I was just looking but you already got your numbers. I don't even need to need to share them because I was gonna help you out at least with the seats <laughs> remaining and there's still plenty of stuff here. Uh, I saw you guys added something too for spouses, which was pretty cool. I think that's one thing that um, um, they've been doing out in, in uh, Isaacson's area with the, the Pensacola stuff and uh, that hasn't made its way I think like uh, if you want to talk national conference like FDRC or something. It hasn't quite made it to there. Uh, How did that come up and how did those connections happen?
0: Well, so so Todd Edwards is uh, doing the Midrise Mayhem class with Steve Robertson and Jimmy Davis, who Jimmy Davis is also a local guy to us, uh, Chicago, and uh, he's doing Midrise Mayhem. Well, his wife, uh, Kathy, uh, they do what's called like the fire wife life. So it's basically... Introduction to spouses and to like what the, the you know, being a fire wife is like the um, Good things the bad things, you know, and basically just networking right and uh, kind of talking about some things. So th- though uh, Kathy and her team are doing the lecture portion. So the same days that the lecture series are the three days They have a three-day lecture series as well so and then uh, Heather yaller and Joe yaller uh, they run Carolina fire days down in uh, North Carolina And uh, they are doing the hot, uh, the hands-on part for uh, the spouses, uh, which already sold out as well. So pretty interesting. They go down and uh, um, they do a little classroom first, and then uh, all the ladies get gear and and equipment and stuff. They'll force doors, they'll flow water, they'll do searches. And then, uh, you know, they'll they'll tour a couple firehouses and a couple training sites and kind of... Um, see see what what class their husbands are in, and then uh, they can go out and kind of see what their their spouse is doing.
1: That's pretty cool. I didn't know they were doing a hot thing. Uh, to be honest with you, I missed that completely. Yeah. That's really cool. I have never heard of anyone really doing that. That's that's pretty awesome. There, I, I'm pretty excited. I mean, the fact that, I, it's it, local for me. It, it selfishly is awesome, but then the lineup that you guys got the people that are coming, the, the, the message behind it. Right. And then the way that you guys are doing, you know, um, registration fees and everything, uh, it, it's awesome. Uh, and, and doesn't seem like there's much else. I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of conferences that exist, but, but that's doing it that way. And, uh, I listened, I listened to Cody when he was on the scrap, talk about it a couple of times and, uh, it's pretty cool. And, uh, I hope I hope everyone I hope you fill all seven hundred whatever seats are left because uh, it'll be really cool for even even if you just get those lecture seats and then whatever other classes are left. I hope you guys fill everything. It, it'd be really cool. So
0: yeah, I mean the the lineup and everything. You know that that's that's Cody. You know Cody uh, did a really good job. Kind <clears> of <throat> so like if you want to do you know tech rescue stuff, you know there's elevated safety and peak. You know if you want to work on machinery rescue you got that so he he kind of lined up the whole thing and uh you know i I already do this stuff with fire nuggets so uh i was facilitating yeah that's that's what i do that's uh it's right in my wheelhouse so and a lot of the uh a lot of the cool pictures and uh things that you see online uh the like publications i guess you know the content uh all that is my wife i'm not that talented so oh yeah yeah, she she deserves the credit on that. So
1: <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's a lot of work. I mean, to, to be making all that stuff too. Uh, that that's that's no small task in itself to scratch build a lot of that stuff. So tell her it looks great when you get a ch- I mean, like, it, I'm I mean I'm a I'm a bit of a nerd for that stuff, logo design and stuff. So uh, what she's doing looks great. So she should be proud of it for sure. If she's not already, I'm sure she is, but.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I, I have to say too that, uh, you know, the, the sites that we got, they, the, the people have been incredible, you know, um, everybody's been great. We got um, Southern Kane, which uh, I've been there quite a bit, you know, it's right, right where I work, basically. Uh, they, we got three classes going out there. We got a local parking garage to do uh, the mid-rise work. We got uh, some other places to do forceful entry. Uh, We got training sites uh, from West Chicago. We got Naperville, Batavia, uh, uh, Sugar Grove, uh, Oswego times two because they're giving us their tower and their classroom. Uh, Romeoville, Darien Woodridge, um, two junkyards, uh, the Peak Peak Rescue and Elevated Safety. They're going to starve rock for a day. Um, Just just some really cool stuff. So uh, I, I can't say enough for the people that uh, have really blessed us, you know, Carol Stream, to uh, to give us their sites and, and allow us to work with them. So we're we're very appreciative of that. And it, it wouldn't happen, uh, Naperville. It wouldn't happen if we didn't have those places. So
1: Yeah, I mean, the, you're everywhere. Uh, Plainfield was another one, I think, that I saw.
0: Yep, yep, Plainfield, thank you. Which yep. that,
1: that facility is really something else, too. I got to take a class there.
0: Yeah, the I'm, I'm pretty sure there was, like, 15 sites or something like that. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's, it's easy to get lost
1: <laughs> so how big is your team then that manages like that i mean obviously that's a lot to to schedule to have stuff there right like i mean even down to like water bottles and stuff like how big is the team that's putting all that together
0: uh so i'm kind of estimating our team will probably be around 200 people yeah. give or take you know I mean, we'll have everybody from people running sites to people just helping out delivering lunches, you know, uh, and, and everything in between. Um, so I'm kind of guessing we'll be right around 200. There's there's people that reach out, you know, every day uh, that that want to say that they want to help. And we kind of jot their names down and say, OK, man, we'll we'll reach back out. Yeah. Um, so. Because there's going to be a lot of pre-work and a lot of post-work. Uh, I mean, when, when we're when we're in it, we're in it. You know, we need waters and lunches and you know, doors, uh, reshamed and stuff. You know, depending on what the class is, but uh, the the work done before and the work done after is the the bulk.
1: Oh yeah, I I, I <laughs> like I said. I mean, water, food, transport, time, organizing, making sure all the right people that are supposed to be. I mean, that's a lot and and Plainfield and West Chicago aren't like next door that to name two places. Like that's crazy. That's pretty spread out, man. That's it. I would, I wouldn't even say it takes a village. I feel like it takes a freaking city to do all that. So that's uh, pretty cool. So another organization that you're a part of, uh, and, and, uh, we've talked before a little bit, um, was, was fire rescue survey. And, um, you just taught a class in my area in Wakanda, which was pretty cool. So thanks for coming and doing that. And that was the theme about it. And any chance I have to kind of talk or, or not me talk, but put it out there, especially for people in my area, uh, Fire Rescue Survey, um, love to have a platform to share that. So um, I feel like most people probably know what it is, but if they don't, you know, give them a quick you know synopsis of what it is, and then um, you know we were talking green room a little bit before about interpreting the data and um, and and using that data for for positive things and, and maybe getting the boogeyman out of the closet for some stuff. So uh, if if you wouldn't mind just uh, sharing about fire rescue survey,
0: yeah. So it started in in 2016. Um, started with Justin McWilliams, who's uh, on Clackamas Fire. Shane Thomas also on Clackamas. Uh, Brian Olson uh, from Eagle, Idaho, and uh, Nick Ladeen, who's on uh, Euclid, Wisconsin. And then uh, they had a uh, IT guy uh, help out as well. So kind of get the website up and going. And basically all it was was a, uh, at the time, like a Google form document you fill out. And the reason they started it was, you know, uh, United States Fire Administration and, and everybody else was always tracking civilian deaths, you know so it, it we never knew actually how well things were going how many wins we had uh are, are we winning are we doing good you know we don't know um because you know NIFRS, which is voluntary as well uh but you know you, you just get grant money if you do it basically um Niffers only asks you one question you know it asks if there was a civilian death Uh, Yes or no, or if there was an injury or a fire death or a fire injury, and that's it. There's no other thing to it, right? So those guys started in 2016 and uh, it's kind of been growing ever since Uh, I came on the team 2019 and We kind of decided to make it official uh, Like two years ago, we became a nonprofit 501c3 um, And uh, I I helped run that Uh, I'm the treasurer for it. Uh, Nicola Dean's the president and we have the board. Uh, Brian Brush is on the board. Ben Schultz, Jonah Smith, Justin Lorenzen, Jason Marshall, uh, Lane Zahuric, uh, and then also those original founders as well. <laughs> so, uh, pretty lucky to have that team. Uh, I mean, we, we just keep growing. We uh, we surpassed three thousand rescues uh, at the end of last year recorded, um, and just because it's a rescue doesn't mean it's a civilian save either. So we're at about like a 68% survival rate. So when, when people, uh, put in a rescue, so, and just so we understand this, you can go to our website, firefighterrescuesurvey.com. It has everything on there. It has the data. It has, um, how you could fill out a survey, where to fill out a survey, uh, definition of a rescue, um, and, and everything like that. So, uh if you go there and fill one out kind of what we define as a rescue is somebody's in fire gear uh full equipment and without the intervention of the fire department there would be you know a grave injury or, or death to the person so if the person's stuck on the third floor balcony and flames are rolling behind them you know if we don't throw a 28-foot ladder to them they only got two choices either burning to death or jumping and hoping everything's okay right so that would uh That would count as a rescue for us yes uh now there there is some that come out um some uh we don't really condone like if they're if they're burnt uh you know and 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 dead you know that that they, they those get tracked those do not get tracked so um kind of some cool things that we've done recently uh we have a data validation team now so uh jason and katie they go in and they actually check and make sure that our Uh, Entries are legit So what they do is we've had duplicates Um, two two main ones Uh, we had one that was like four or five and Basically what it was was four or five people on the company were just excited to turn one in and they all turned one in which I thought was kind of cool and then we had one that was like uh, around a dozen dozen plus and uh, the only thing we could think of is is the guy probably doesn't like us so he probably just wanted to try to skew the data which 12 out of 3,000 really isn't much, but they go in and then delete them and then we, uh, we reevaluate. So, about every 1,000 uh, rescues is when we evaluate, and we're getting pretty close to 4,000. Um, so, we'll probably hit 4,000 mid, midpoint next year. Um, we're doing about 600 to 800 rescues logged per year, uh, which there's definitely way more than that because we, the way like the United States Fire Administration tracks civilian death is they literally do it off of news releases. So if a news release comes out that a civilian died, that's how the USFA does their check mark. So in 2021, we did that same thing. <clears throat> so we we went in and we uh, looked up rescues by um, news releases. And we were in the low 2000s for, for rescues uh, across the, the fire service, which if you know about civilian death, we're at about 3,000, 3,500 per year. You know, so if you look at a chart, actually, if you look at structure fires, uh, residential structure fires in the United States over the years, and this is going to piss people off, but over the years, realistically, it has been declining a little bit, right? Um, it's, it's not the 80s or 90s anymore. Um, but civilian death has stayed the same and even inclined a little bit as well. So that's kind of why these guys wanted to start this, was how do we get more rescues? Um, is there things that we're missing or things that we could do better? Um, so we, we track everything. We track, um, I'll, I'll just pull this up real quick. We got this uh, thing called Just the Numbers, and it gives us everything. So we do uh, the time of day that it happens. We do, um, so like things operationally that we could look into adjusting is, um clean cab organizations, right? So we, we ask is the SCBA in the seat or is it on the outside versus the rescue? And 83% of rescues, you know, being done uh, or, or recorded, uh, the SCBA was found in the seat. You know, and then we, we do that by survival too. So if their SCBA was in the seat, uh, you know, we're in the 70 plus percent range. But if they had to go outside to go and get their SCBA, it drops, you know, 4% for, uh, for the numbers. So, I mean, just interesting little things like that. We do time of day, wh- where they're at, uh, the, you know, bedroom, family room, hallway, kitchen, bathroom, foyer. We uh, track all of those and then just kind of keep going a little bit here. Uh, the dispatch time until the uh, fire department arrives. Uh, And then we we track, when we have an initial data piece, we track recorded rescues versus survival as well. So was there survival or or did they not? Um, Reports of victims, um, who made the statement about victims? um, Were there multiple victims found in the room? Um, Was search initiated pre-knockdown or post-knockdown? was uh, search started before writ or after the writ assignment was given um, the number of floors we have uh, exterior conditions um, number of firefighters on scene um, visibility conditions uh, did the structure appear abandoned yes or no um, was there smoke alarms I mean there's there's some stuff that like you don't really find super cool like smoke alarms and, and close before you doze but some interesting things like if if the occupants had their door shut and they had uh working smoke alarms they had a 95% survival so yeah. just i mean we do everything and um i mean as long as you're cool that i'll I'll kind of hit some of the cliff notes uh, no please and, and please
1: really, share really yeah cool. yeah.
0: <clears throat> yeah so the big things you know is we we kind of just push that, you know, search isn't this like terrifying thing. You know, number one, it's our job. It's our reason. It's our like sole reason we exist, right? Like when when people call us, they expect us to pull them out. Uh, I'm sure if you went out and ran a uh, survey from your community, that would be exactly what their expectations are, is you go there, you put out the fire, you bring them out, right? <clears throat> Shouldn't be shocking. And it's kind of hit on those numbers. We've already talked about the United States Fire Administration. But they also, you know, track firefighter deaths as well, uh, line of duty deaths. So that's kind of something where where this ties in a little bit. Is people always get terrified that you know firefighters are dying in massive amounts of waves to where we shouldn't be doing, you know, like aggressive search and ventilation operations and, and things like that, right? So in 2008, the United States Fire Administration started putting the cause behind uh like like or or the what the firefighter was doing when, when they died so like advancing a hose line um search search and rescue operations things like that so from 2008 until now there has been 16 line of duty deaths when it comes to search 16. so People say, you know, a hundred of us die. A uh, hundred firefighters die each year, right? And that's the number they always use, right? And and they, they do, right? You know, uh, cardiac arrest, um, cancer, vehicle accidents, things like that. But we're not going. A hundred of us aren't going into a structure every year, and and dying. It's it's not. Um, <clears throat> so like, that scary boogeyman thing you can go out the corner. You know, we still got we still got a job to do, right? Um, and two of those were on a secondary search, uh, and then one of them was when somebody was trying to evac out of the building. So realistically, uh, primary search was, was 13 for the last 16 years. So about one or, one or less per, per year doing search and rescue operations. Um, commercial's a little bit of a different thing. Uh, there's eight, but those are, those are kind of the, the tracking that we did just to see what we were at. Um, so when we look at, uh, like, do you guys use the term fully involved a lot?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but it's definitely, I mean, it's in our vocabulary, right?
0: Okay. So like, like one thing, you know, that we talk about is like exterior conditions, uh, when we ask things. So if, if somebody rolls up to a fire that you're at and they say, uh, you know, engine blah, blah, blah is on scene. We got a two story wood frame fully involved and your second do what are you thinking
1: well don't get me in trouble it depends on it depends on who's talking on the radio to be honest with oh,
0: you oh, okay okay you I'll, get what I'll i'm saying I, 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 yeah. I, i'll <laughs> uh, i'll answer for you so like uh master streams water supply
1: i get where you're going yes
0: fire fire blowing out of everywhere yeah right so they're typically calling the fully involved even before they walk around the building right because the engine you know pulls up pulls past right yeah. so you see one two three but you don't see the rear Right, and like we've had uh, rescues reported, and and the people like email us, call us, whatever, and like they're they're you know they find people in the bathroom, and the bathroom you know d- doesn't have a window typically, right? Yeah. And like like there's there's one rescue my friend Justin had, and the kid was in the bathroom, and like you look at this hallway, and the hallway is just torched, like you, you would never think anybody would survive, but the door was shut, right? So, and here's something crazy so like six percent of of the rescues that are recorded initially went defensive so they pull up and initially hey we're going defensive right and then um 34 percent of those people survived yeah which i mean i mean yeah that's a low percentage but but still you got to think if you're going defensive right like what is what does it look like from the outside and i mean there's still people in there right and then we also have the tools and equipment to make us go offensive being water, yeah, right. So, so we make the space and then we go offensive. Uh, kind of another uh ver- verbiage thing that we talk about is um vacant structures, right? So, when when people call structures vacants, typically that's a, a no, 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 right? People don't go in, things like that. So um, 3% of our rescues being recorded have, have happened in, uh, vacant structures. So, you know, people talk about maybe changing the verbiage to abandon rather than, you know, a vacant. Yeah. Right. So just little things like that. Um, what, uh, let's see here. So let see. <clears throat> so, and then like reports. So reports of victims you know there's there's basically three answers there's uh, yes there's reports of victims you know it's mom outside saying hey little Susie's up there in that window right so when it's a positive report we're finding that like 80% of those reports are, are accurate which so like a positive report you know that's, that's probably a good thing to listen to right if if there's key indicators you know target your search a little bit more right um, then there the next one is yes everyone's out of the structure. Now this one is a is a big killer because what does this do? So if if you roll up and they say uh, everybody's out of structure, what do you think people think?
1: So yeah, most people start to to pull back. Most people start to kind of ease off on things. They don't think about that stuff, right? They go into a, a, a less aggressive mode, right, when they hear that stuff.
0: Yeah, so their their mindset drops from yeah. you know search search and rescue to a more of like, oh, just fire attack, you know, yeah. we just got to get this thing knocked out, we use a truck company for overhaul, um, and and things like that, well, 3%, so over 100 people have been rescued when people say that everybody's out of the home, and yeah. this is everything from like malicious reasoning to um, parents, like accidentally, like, it, it could be a, a dad, daughter's having a sleepover, he didn't realize that, you know, his daughter had a friend over, right, so, Um, just, just things like that. So people aren't, um, people are talking about maybe not if, if like dispatch says, Hey, we got reports of everybody out, then dispatch doesn't even say that to the fire companies, right. Because it it changes the mindset completely of everybody. Um, what else? Um, you know, and then when you got positive reports too, you know, it, it might not be a bad idea to ask, you know, two, two main questions, right. You know, um, if she says, my baby's in there, you know, uh, like who is your baby? Like, or, you know, cause it, is it a dog or instead of like a baby, uh, like we've had, a, a baby being inside. Um, my friend Justin had this one, the baby was a 250 pound kid.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: That's a, that's a big difference, right? For, for what you're searching for. Um, and then the other thing would be, you know, where, where's the bedroom for, for that kid? Um, what else? Um, just going to my notes here. No,
1: you're okay. You're okay. I was gonna actually. I was gonna segue. So we we had uh, we had Sean Duffy jump here in the chat uh, over on the Facebook side here, and uh, it, it it called to mind. I you know I just took I went to FDIC this year. I I go most years, and I, I took a class that he was involved with teaching. So that was pretty cool. But I, I've seen a shift. Uh, in the way that we teach using those statistics, right? And it's been great. And uh, uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you, and and I can give you my perspective to so kind of get where I'm coming from, was like, what piece of data, and it can't just be one thing, but a piece of data that changed maybe your mindset or your belief in things or, or totally changed what you were taught. And like, for example, for me, like, I was always taught, you know, close to the fire and work your way back. And now, you know, with some of the data that's coming out from your from from the group, you know, from firefighter rescue survey, it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe you you instead of that, you bet on bedrooms, common places, and hallways, rather than necessarily fire and work your way back. About being more intelligent about where you put your people, and and I think that that's uh, my department. We're trying to make that that mindset shift. Uh, what what's some what's the biggest like? totally changed your belief and mindset of how you operate things based on the data that you got out of firefighter rescue survey. What's one that really stands out to you?
0: Uh, you know, that what we're doing, you know, actually, you know, works, right? So, I mean, out of the 3000 rescues, we're at like a 68%, you know, survival rate. And, you know, that's, uh, that's good. You know that's that's right on on cue with like uh cardiac arrest survivability rates and and things like that so there's i i i can't really label it down to to one thing you know the the problem i think the problem i think is you know not only those Line of duty death stats, you know, scare the shit out of people. And then people use kind of it to, you know, I, I guess somewhat fear monger, right? Yeah. But also, too, like when I was taught search, when I took Firefighter 2 in like 2008, right? They put my hood over my mask. They put me in a, a training room, which was like a 20 by 15 cinder block room with not a goddamn thing in it. Nothing. Zero yeah. things and uh, they had me put a tool in my left hand and then my right boot stayed on the wall and then my right hand stayed on my partner's boot. And if my hand came off my partner's boot, they yelled at me that I was gonna die.
1: Yeah, right.
0: So like, so, like that that was the initial training and like how do you recover from that, right? And uh, so I, I think that's a lot of the problem and I, I think training wise we've, we've come a long way uh, from that. So I, I, I think that's where we're lucky that we, we don't really have that going on much anymore. And I mean, we, we got a, a whole bunch of, uh, of of information out there, you just have to apply it appropriately. And and that's something that, that I, you know, screw up sometimes, right? Like, you get all this information, you want to do all this good shit. And sometimes you don't really apply it the, the right way.
1: Yeah, no, I feel that I, I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, I think that's also you. You hit the nail on the head. That's where I was coming from about talking about like Sean, you know, or or, or any really a lot of these guys that are teaching and are being highlighted nationally. Be, there's a reason, right? And uh, and and seeing the way that they're teaching, undoing those training scars, just like what you're talking about, where where you know you'll see people if they if they haven't been exposed to that stuff, they hit the ground and they don't know what to do. Like they they just default to a wall and they miss stuff and they're not really actually searching and it's cool to see i hope it trickles down to fire academies kind of like you know sounds like we both had a similar experience of that kind of training scar and uh i i don't know how that gets changed you know curriculum wise but um maybe it does someday i don't know
0: yeah and i i, I kind of want to go back to what you were saying with, with like sean with what sean was kind of highlighting and you know focusing on certain parts of the building and, and stuff like that so like I, I'm pretty lucky where I'm at, you know, we get two engines and a truck automatically going to to a fire. Um, excuse me. Uh, so, so, so we get those units going. So depending on where the fire is, is where it's going to depend where like search and rest, like the company, uh, the truck company is assigned search, right? So depending on where the fire is at, is going to really dictate that for us. And it should dictate that for everybody. Yeah. Right? It's so like. I I don't think it's a default, go as close as you can to the fire and work back, right? Like, if it's 3 in the morning and the fire's in the kitchen, right, maybe do a real quick sweep in the living room and, you know, in the uh, front foyer area and then, boop, bop upstairs, right? The engine company can handle, you know, the fire room and the room adjacent,
1: you know? Yeah, the Uh, engine company's going to the fire
0: I I don't think we're going to, you know, really mess around with with the first floor. We're going to go straight up to 2. You know, rather than uh, the, the next in companies can kind of handle one, you know, because it's you can see clearly. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I it's a shitty answer and nobody really likes it. But it, that's what a lot of it is. It depends because you can't you can't um, really dictate what people are going to do. And that's not only the people in the house or the people in the street. You can't dictate what the people working around you are even going to do because yeah. you don't you don't know what's what they're thinking.
1: Well, but, yeah, because um, if they all had that same default right of let me find a wall and put my boot on it i i, I can you blame them yet i'm not going to say blame them like if they've never been taught anything different like well yeah that's what you expect right that's kind of what you're getting at is is you you kind of you have to figure out the limitations of people and what they've been educated on and hopefully you can share the information in a way where it's accepted which It's this is a struggle to be honest right like it's hard
0: yeah yeah and i mean kind of just moving on here like through my notes like there's there's some some cool stuff that i I think a lot of people don't think about and i know sean uh since he's in the chat he's kind of doing a class on this i believe but it's something so simple that you can go out and drill in but drags uh drags is a huge one um you know there's a uh uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this. So, like, it was found basically that, you know, if if the occupant's head stayed or, or the victim's head stayed on the floor, right, so, like, a, a foot or below, they had a better chance of survival than somebody that was elevated to three foot for a third of that time, basically. Yeah. So, like, the whole, like, uh, uh, combat challenge, drag, you know, that people yeah. do, like, that, that stuff that, yeah. that we should possibly not think about doing you know maybe going to like a leg drag or or like a wrist lock or or something like that instead and that's something that's so somebody just go down the freaking bay and just hey lay down yeah right i, I want to work on this and and that's like you, you said training scar earlier that's another one man because we put us firefighters and nobody wants to you know screw up their clothes and shit so we put them we put our bunker gear on when we teach search and rescue and then they're stuck searching for us in bunker gear and that's kind of a little training scar. So, like, when – when uh, like, our fire academy does search and rescue, we wear, like, shorts, T-shirts, you know, whatever typical stuff that you would wear to bed.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? No, that's great. Those little things – but those little things really do matter. Like, uh, because, like you said, I, the opportunity for firefighters uh, – yeah, you if you're working in a place that's that's – going to a lot of fires right uh, uh, sure you have more opportunity but a lot of places in the suburbs you don't You don't really get you maybe get one shot a, a career you know to pull somebody out and if you're not prepared for that to find them naked or in shorts or something like that uh, those training scars are huge and everyone has them I, I, myself included everyone has training scars right because we're trying to, to create a realistic training environment for something that we just can't like you can't I mean you can do the best you can but you're never it's never going to be right up to being a structure fire with a real person in a smoke filled environment like it's real smoke like all that stuff uh it, i but but what you guys are doing having data facts now you can act you can take someone's experience from Oklahoma and and a guy from Illinois can read about a rescue that someone made and interpret what happened and then use that information to make an educated decision or develop an ed- educated lesson plan to teach other people. So wh- what other cool uh, things did you have uh, and, and data points?
0: Well, I mean, I, I'm just going to kind of just talk. Like, yeah. Like, uh, you know, when it comes to training and stuff too, I, I also think not only with using like um, <clears throat> he, like like us, like you have to use real people because dummies just doesn't really do it. So like when you use real people, right, uh, typically – if you use smoke machines instead of real smoke smoke machines actually do a really good job i uh they you know catch a catch a bad rap sometimes but they they do do a uh, phenomenal job for what they do um i mean that that in training and then we also use like babies and stuff uh, not not real babies but um you know we'll, we'll go and get uh, some dolls from from walmart and we'll kind of stuff them a little bit so they weigh about 12 to 15 pounds those are those are good and important things to do you got to have real stuff too you got to have real beds dressers doors um cribs um and then like like do the door orientations the right way so like if it's if it's a master bedroom right have the bathroom door swing inward and have the closet swing outward right so they actually have to think about what they're doing because you know uh if if you Go in through that door, and you want to isolate the door and stuff like that, right? You know, you could, you know, accidentally screw up and grab the wrong door. You got to really think about what you're doing. Yeah. So it's so like realistic training environments. You know, add a little bit of stress. You know, have a mom outside, uh, things like that. Um. So yeah, and, and then you know another thing too is, and it's a it's a super easy easy thing you could think about. You could just talk about it on the bay. Really, just look at a house and be like, okay, the the officer, right, sh- is going to do a size-up, right, but everybody realistically should. <clears throat> so, if you're looking at a standard, like, two, two-and-a-half story wood frame, and you're looking at the house and you see the picture window on the right, that's kind of probably indicating, what, a living room?
1: Yeah.
0: Right? And then you look to the left, door, door frames in the center, you look to the left, and they got, like, one of these, uh, and, and a lot of these two stories where I work are like this. They got, like, a rectangle window on the side of the house.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it usually indicates like the, fir- the the landing like two, three steps up. I know what you mean. And yeah. then yeah, and then there's a door off the driveway, it's flush with the ground, right? And then there's like three steps, two steps up to the left, kitchen, basement below, and then what's usually stacked on top of the stair, another stairwell going to two, right? Yeah, yeah. So basement stairs below, right? So then you're like, okay, well that's that's how I get to two right there. So, yeah. you know, you you can call it a, a search size up whatever, but if if fires blown out of two and you're on the engine, then you know it's just your sides up on how the hell to get to the second floor.
1: Yeah. So
0: little things like that.
1: Yeah, uh, that's like uh, the best analogy is like when when a uh, soldiers they go to I don't know. Perform their job. They're gonna go on an op, right? And they and they've researched the lay of the land. They know their exits. They know all this other stuff. And I'm not a soldier, so I don't know all the lingo. But I'm I'm generalizing, right? That's it's the same thing. It's it's you showing up and doing that, so you know where where you're gonna go, your exits, and all that shit. Like, yeah, that stuff's absolutely important, and uh, uh, especially for search, right? About where you're gonna go, maximizing your time. You're you're, you're hitting the nail on the head again. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and, and like we said, you know, like uh, rescue, right? It's our whole mission. So when we drill and and train, you know, you could always. Th- throw in rescue or search things into it. So like if you do forcible entry, here, here's a good one. So forcible entry, uh, per our stats, we typically find uh, a victim about 10% of the time within six foot of that, that uh, entrance and, and uh, e- egress and ingress. Sorry. So about 10% of the time we find a victim. So we could do a force, force door, force the door, go in, do a life fire layout, call out. So you get in your belly down the ground, get a box light, checking for any life that you can see on the ground because you just created you know an intake right so all that's just going to be pushing in you can kind of see a little bit so you're going to be looking down you're gonna be looking for life do i see any fire where's that and then we're looking at the layout of the structure as well um and then we'll do a quick call hey fire department you know call out right and that's the same thing can be said for like a a window so if, if we you know ladder a porch roof and they got a windows up there or you know if we ladder a window and we're gonna make entry in there you know, sweep the floor, sound it, live fire layout, you know, 6% of people are found there. And it's, it shouldn't really shock anybody because pe- people are trying to get out, yeah. right? And then they, they ate too much, you know, bad stuff and they went down. Yeah. So those are kind of things, kind of ways that we could um, incorporate some search and rescue things into that. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, bedrooms were the number one place that people were found 24 hours a day. Um, some of our stats came from COVID time, too, so I don't know yeah. how bad that kind of, you know, screwed everything up. But uh, bedrooms were, were the number one, ranging anywhere from, you know, 34% of the time to 54% of the time. 54% of the time, you know, being obviously, you know, after, after midnight. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, see what else um, oh uh, bunk beds so kind of some things that we talk about with with bunk beds there is a uh little thing we got here so this happened in medford oregon in 2018 uh they they went in and they found a three-year-old girl crouched on the bottom bunk crying she's conscious and she's crying right they reach up top of the bunk bed and they find a five-year-old girl unconscious and uh so just literally that small little size gap is is the biggest difference between bad really bad stuff to you know just bad stuff right so like that's a big thing uh if if we're doing like search and rescue drills have bunk beds you know top uh, high to low search high to low right feel up feel up the uh the bed frame and uh things like that and the same analogy applies for you know second floor first floor yeah right all that stuff's going to go somewhere yeah. right um let's see what else do i got <clears throat> um so kind of something that was interesting we started asking this uh we got about 250 ish plus surveys in this but if we, we have a, a drop down so uh were multiple victims found um performing the rescue and if they clicked yes it dropped another drop down and then the question asked were they found in the same room or within like a vicinity of each other and that one was 61 percent yes and uh larry mccormick he's a squad five guy you know he he always said you know nobody likes to die alone you know it's like moms moms are gonna go get their kids right yeah or, or, you know, you would hope any parent goes and gets their kids. Yeah. So th- that's, what's hap- that's what happens, you know, right? They, they go, they grab their kid, eat too much bad shit, and then they go down, right? So that's why when we, we talk about, you know, uh, incorporate drags and stuff in your trainings, you can do a sweep around the victim, see if you feel more than just one, right? Um, let me see. And then, kind of, kind of, lastly, as far as it comes, like, like data-wise, like I, I don't want to go too, too, too deep, but uh, we even started looking at some stuff like uh, cyano kits. Yeah. Um, so Oklahoma City's probably the biggest department I know that does it, but they they give cyano kits to pretty much all their fire victims, and they have some really good uh, results, uh, like almost seventy percent um, survival rate. Whoa. So, really, really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, you know it, it's not the end-all be-all but it, it is a good uh resource in in my opinion um but obviously you have to look at the information and know how to apply it correctly just like anything else yeah and last thing sorry no, <laughs> what's co- what's what's really cool is um we got some big organizations that actually have adopted it into policy um oklahoma City's one of them um phoenix uh Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. Uh, so basically, anytime they have a rescue, they have somebody in the training division or in operations, they'll go in and they'll fill out a survey. And uh, Oklahoma is actually one of the ones, they actually do their own internal. So then if they have like, uh, I, they had something crazy like a couple years ago, they had like 22 rescues in a year or something. But they, uh, they found like, like eight of their rescues were from one pocket. So they focus their fire prevention efforts a little bit more in that pocketed wow. area. And, and, you know, it, it's cool. That you know, we cool. got uh, we're like L.A. County is looking at possibly kind of kind of coming on board too, which would probably be our, our biggest organization to date. Um, but, you know, we told them the same thing. We're like, hey, you know, this is this is information, how you choose to interpret it. It's, it's, it's your data, facts, information, you know, um, whatever you want to do with it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, one one of the ones – I it was about like thermal imaging cameras and there was a whole th- – where someone was trying to crap on thermal imaging and they were pulling some uh, – local to me, not like nationally or anything like that. It was like, see, rescue survey shows this about – I don't remember the exact point they were trying to make and it was like easily debunked. So it, it is still data like you're saying but used properly and, and for good. Like I, it, it seems like it proves a lot of the – the stuff that many people have already known but now there's there's something behind it right it's it's the street it's real you can't take that away
0: yeah and, and to to kind of back up the the tick thing you know right like we not all of our surveys have asked like a tick question yeah so like we don't have the, <clears throat> the uh I, I don't know what you'd say like the the fair numbers I guess yeah but like Andy starn says it perfectly uh people unfortunately like don't use it appropriately yeah the the tick right is meant like if you see the fire you don't need the tick to show you where the hell the fire is right yeah so people are always looking up with the tick whereas the victims are going to be down right they're they're not going to be crawling on the ceiling yeah so you got to look down with your sweep with the camera rather than up yeah yeah and I'm, i'm not i'm not like a huge like like tick person but that's that's kind of what he, he was talking with me about one time.
1: Yeah, well, and, and like you said, I mean, get properly used ticks is a totally different animal, right? I think one of the things he says, uh, and I just uh, – actually, that was a class that Sean was part of. Was, uh, and he says one of the best things you can do with a tick is not use it. <laughs> like the guy is teaching a tick class and that's what he says, so w- which always just cracks me up. Like, But it's the truth. Like there's a point, right, if you can see the fire. Yeah, right? Kind of don't need it. Well, you, you know. Um, with, with, uh, another little thing with rescue survey. So, um, what was, what was a piece that, that maybe like surprised you the most, right? Like, I know we, I kind of asked a little bit about like what maybe changed your mindset, but what, what was something that was like a surprise to you coming from some of the information?
0: Um, mm let me see I mean, nothing really like jumped out at me and and surprised me. I would actually say more of the surprise was that more people didn't see this as being normal or or uh like average, I guess you know right like like when, when people see our data, they're like, "Oh, this is great and it's like like dude like you know. We're assigned search, you know, 100% of people have been found inside when you do a search, right? Yeah. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? If yeah. somebody's inside, right? Like, if you have a successful rescue, like, they're inside the building, right? Yeah. So, like, it's it's literally when you go to a fire, right, you get tapped out, you should expect that there's a fire and you can you should just expect that there's people. Yeah. Because then that gets your mindset dialed in. You don't have anything to deviate from.
1: Yeah. Cool. A- anything else with rescue survey or no?
0: No, man, I mean, we, uh, we need to just go check out our site. If you have any questions, ask us on there. It's linked to our, our emails, and we can help you out with anything you need.
1: Cool, yeah. Uh, I put it in the chat here on Facebook, too, so if you're interested, there's a link, link to Fire Nuggets, or uh, Firemanship was in there as well, and I'll throw Fire Nuggets in there while I'm thinking about it. Uh, but while I'm looking that up, or I'm putting that in there, um, one of the things that, and just in this conversation with you, that that I've noticed that that that's cool, and 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 um, I, I guess cool. I maybe I'm at my vocabulary is not super great tonight, but um, it seems like you wanted to get involved in these things, right? You personally, and you made it happen, right? You found your way to get part of part of the bigger fire service world, right? And uh, and you know if if. For, for like you know, say a young guy who's just getting into the job and is looking to to really be into it and want to be part of those things. What what advice would you have for for let's say a, like a one to two year person just just getting into the job, got bit by it, wants to get involved in the fire service more so than just their immediate area.
0: Uh, keep keep doing what you're doing, uh, especially with like that tenure, man. I mean, it's uh, you you got a long time. I mean, one or two years is still got... 20 plus you know you should be working on perfecting what what you do for your entire career but at a minimum you know 15 20 years really before you uh you know kind of go out and start doing uh a a lot of stuff right uh number one clout right like you, you you can't you can't go to the fire academy have two years go and get instructor one you got this you know cool little certificate and you know I, i'm I, i'm a terrible example of this like i got tapped to ask when i was you know 24 25 to help out with like an scba class you know uh maybe even like 23 but like you know i thought about it and i'm like oh you know i i wear one right like why yeah. not but you know it's you gotta at least have the clout and using it like you, you can't teach something and you've never done it
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get That's 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 great advice. Uh, would you say then uh, it kind of almost seems like then if an opportunity presents itself, you, you you jump on it if you feel like you can?
0: Yeah. I mean, like n- not all of us get fires all the time. Right. Yeah. But don't don't waste one. Right. So sure. you, you go to a fire if you're if you're rich or something, you know, and uh, don't don't waste it. it. Throw throw ladders. You know, if there's bars, cut cut bars, obviously, if you're allowed to. Right. And then, you know, when, when the fire is done, be like, hey, boss, you know, can we go, you know, check out the building? You know, you want to look at the building construction, what kind of way does the fire move throughout the building? And I mean, there, there's stuff even before fires. Like, you should be going out and doing walkthroughs of your buildings and, and things like that um, every day. You should be training every day. And with, you know, social media, online things, there's training everywhere. But I will reemphasize this because this is a mistake that I've made is you need to have and make sure that you, um, don't like misinterpret something and use it the wrong way. Right. So like, let me, let me say Like I, I've taken nozzle forward. Aaron's Aaron Fields is a good man, great man, knowledgeable, right? Like my department doesn't run a So like I could apply some of the shit that he does, right? Like you can do the, uh, you can apply some of that stuff, but you can't apply all of it, Yeah. right? And you're not you're not gonna change the whole freaking department just because you went to a class, you know. So I, I would say those things, you know. Don't don't ruin your entire uh, capital of, of who you are or or what you do because you feel so strongly about something, you know. You gotta you gotta kind of chill out a little bit, you know. Things take time, and uh, just kind of work through some things, and just Perfect, perfect what you do, perfect your craft, you know, and, uh, hopefully, hopefully just continue to grow every day.
1: Yeah. Great advice. Great, great advice. I, I, I love it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and then as far as like, you know, connecting with, with people and, and that kind of stuff, um, once, once those people get a little bit more and, and they're starting to feel those things, what advice would you have in that way? Cause it sounds like you've made tons of connections, uh, over over the fire service world and uh how'd you oh, go about man. doing that yeah
0: there's uh i mean i i said it right, the internet <laughs>
1: the yeah, i internet. mean i know but <laughs>
0: the, the internet uh has has pretty much everything i mean um i'm not really a huge fan of uh facebook anymore you know um it has some some very big downfalls um uh, but as far as like information sharing and everything like that there's you know, if, if you love doing this shit, uh, if you love engine work, truck work, whatever, you can find what's called, you know, like a Facebook group and you can join it. And they got stuff in there about, you know, attack packages, nozzles, hose stuff, uh, pumping, you know, forceful entry, they have everything, you know? But again, I'm gonna go back, don't misapply things, right? Like you, you can't just see everything and be like, oh, this is, this is the way we do it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Absolutely. Well, anyone anyone listening here, if you got questions for Jeff, throw throw them in the chat. Otherwise, I'm going to go head towards like our the, the closing questions or whatever, unless you got something else you want to share from those things. I mean, it's really cool to hear you talk about them and, and and put some context behind a lot of those things. So again, thanks for sharing all that. I know it's an information dump to throw so much stuff out. Uh but but thanks again for sharing all that.
0: Yeah. No problem.
1: Um, well, we kind of already talked about it a little bit, but, um, these are kind of personal questions. So here we go. So, uh, what's one mistake that you've made and learned from over the course of your career?
0: Uh, well, probably a terrible answer, but, uh, I probably make a mistake every day. It's not and a terrible I, answer. <laughs> I, I, I learn from it every day and you know, there, there's a quote, I, I don't even know who it's from, but it's the, the only people that don't make mistakes are the people that aren't doing shit. So you know you're gonna make mistakes that's how you learn it's how you grow you know the the whole uh again another quote you know fail stands for first attempt and learning you know so just keep trying shit and then fail learn grow build
1: awesome um who influenced you the most early in your career so the context behind this uh, um is uh, I, I believe we don't always get an opportunity to, to say thank you to people in our first couple years in the fire service, right? Because yeah, most people are a little bit worried about that and, and feel odd and socially awkward about those things. But um, I, I, I like to give you an opportunity to highlight somebody early in your career that either gave you a, hey, kid, come here, or, or took you under their wing and maybe you didn't get a chance to, or maybe you did, whatever. Either way, uh, early in your career influenced you positively
0: uh i got a couple you know uh obviously my my grandfather you know he he wasn't around very long i think i was uh 10 years old when he died but you know the guys telling the stories from you know back in the 50s 60s 70s you know like i mean those guys did some crazy shit like you know they're they're working cardiac arrest doing mouth to mouth and the, the you know uh the person throws up in the dude's mouth doing mouth to mouth and he spits it out and he just goes back to it like like that's that's disgusting but you know, they were doing it. Right. And, you know, my, my grandfather, we had a huge downtown fire back in the eighties, you know, and the guys that he worked with said, you know, that there was a report of somebody inside. So we fucking ran, they didn't have SCBAs like in the sixties, you know, so, so they ran inside to search for people and came back out, they ate a bunch of shit. I think he went to the hospital for, you know, like a day or two, um, stuff like that. So I, I obviously the, the stories I hear about my grandfather, obviously, you know, influenced. And then, uh, my, my dad is is another big influence um, and also too my dad when it comes to like hosting things um, Like like through fire nuggets and stuff. He's kind of one of my big inspirations, too um, He's hosted uh, since like 1998. There's a fire and extrication school out here and uh, since 1998. He's kind of ran that um, And Blackhawk Firefighters Association. He's helped out with that as well So I kind of get those influences from him and then You know, lastly, I'm not going to say their names because they'll they'll probably uh, kill me, but uh, (laughs) just a couple couple people at work uh, that I work with. You know, they're uh, good mentors, good friends, good people. And uh, I'm just, you know, lucky to have those people in my life.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Off the script, off the off the pre pre question. So you could tell me to to pound sand. But um, do you feel like you deal with do you deal with imposter syndrome at all? Given, given all of the, the the people that you meet and and the organizations that you're a part of do you, do you feel like you deal with that at all?
0: Um, you, I mean yeah, yes and no but like at the same time like anything that like I uh, you know quote unquote care about right like I've invested a lot of time in and I like I, I don't go out and talk about vertical ventilation because i i haven't really done that much of it you know yeah. just a couple you know times right so like that's that, that's like we talked about earlier you gotta have clout in the shit you do yeah otherwise you know um but i mean i i think everybody has that right yeah. you know
1: cool so. yeah no i any answer is a good answer i just curious it's a thing that that's been more of a hot topic a lot about a lot of whatever either way um have you ever? Oh, visitors. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> you're okay. You're fine, dude. Again, look at I mean, my kids play playroom for God's sakes. So you're. <laughs> um, have you ever lost your passion for the fire service? And then, uh, if, if you did, what what'd you do to get it back? And what keeps you going?
0: Uh, I would say no. Uh, I actually probably have a sick disease where uh, if if I feel like. Uh, If if somebody or something is like, uh, you know, trying to take my passion away, I feel like I actually double down and I just, you know, go, you know, screw it. I'm just going to fucking prove this guy wrong, (laughs) you know. So it's probably a disease, honestly. Um, But. But, uh, yeah, no, I. I I mean, yeah, there's there's good days and bad days, but, yeah, pretty much um, I I care about giving back and and doing good things. And um, I want to go to fire's.
1: quote of the day there (laughs) uh if you wanted to give someone a sense of how the fire service culture and and environment and everything should work they're going to meet one person who's it going to be right so you're taking someone that knows nothing about the fire service and and you want to put them with one person so they get the full picture and the right picture in your mind who is that person that you're going to put them with
0: uh, so this is kind of a, an interesting one. Um, I, I went on vacation and I reread um, Report from Engine Company 82. And uh, for anybody that hasn't read it, I would highly suggest it. Um, Dennis Smith. Um, and it, it's, I, I literally just re- reread the book, so I, I had to pick this one because I, I read a quote in there. Or I, I quoted him, I should say. Um, he was an Engine Company 82 in the war years. I mean, their, their engine, his engine only alone, did like 9,000 runs. And they had two engines and two, two ladder companies in his house, and they all ran those same amount of runs, like right around eight 9,000 runs, which is more than most fire departments' total run. And that's, you know, one piece of apparatus. So he, he put in his book for the, the members joining the FDNY that he hopes that the young men joining the fire department around the country are doing so out of some sense of commitment to the profession and to the people Not because of other things such as excitement, and uh, I I couldn't agree with that quote more. Um, You know, and now today it's more than just excitement. You know, Uh, I hope that they're doing it more than just you know a T-shirt or you know uh, if you're looking at you know volunteer agencies and a pager or you know um, benefits and things like that. Right? Like you actually want people that actually care, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. yeah yeah I mean they they connected you read that book they uh, yeah they were in the slums, you know, and they they connected with their community even though their community did some pretty messed up shit to them like they they would throw bricks at them and that stuff was, yeah I was but just they would still yeah I mean they, they would still hold community events and have ice cream trucks come out and hang out with the kids and things like that, so that's that's what you want you know.
1: Last one. You ready? Simplest yeah. one, maybe. Yeah. Best part of the job.
0: Oh. Well, I I don't want to wish ill will on anybody, but you, you, we you don't train, you know, and uh, try to be good at something to not do it. So you, you want to go to fires. You know, it's it's just like if you're on a football team, you know, state championship, Super Bowl, whatever, right? Like you don't you don't train to to not go, right? So. I would say going to fires and then obviously the, the people you work with, you know, um, is, is probably, probably number two.
1: Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Well, that, that's going to do it for us. Um, thanks again for coming on and, uh, and, and sharing all that information. I really hope that, that, that it cast, cast that net a little bit wider with some of the, 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 stuff that you're involved with and, uh, and bring some more awareness to it. So, so thanks for coming and sharing that and and sharing, uh, some of your other insight as well. So I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we could connect to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. So uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the next one. I'm going to go on vacation. So you won't probably hear from me for a couple of weeks, but uh, have a nice night, everyone. And uh, take it easy. Thank you for listening. Check us out on outwirefirefighters.com, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Remember, excellence may be a rarity, but you are not alone.